Well, I'll be finishing up with you this uh, study of the law of God, his will for our lives, by a passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, with which I'll also be segueing into a new series. We'll be looking over the holidays when so many of us, well, even today apparently, are in and out. Um, we'll, we'll have our uh, study over these uh, few weeks in First Thessalonians, if you'd like to read and get ahead. I'd like to just read to you <coughs> from the end of the book, excuse me, from chapter 5, reading verses 16 through 18. Three verses, three points, a simple message, difficult to, uh, as always, to uh, implement wholeheartedly. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we read these brief words in his closing exhortation to the church. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that it would be our delight to do your will, and we pray that you would inscribe these words upon not only our minds, but our lives as well, that we would truly be a indescribably happy, joyful people in the Lord our God, in whom we pray. Amen. Well, so it is on the fourth Thursday of every November, our government has appointed a day for all of us to unite in thanksgiving to God. And I always try to make some mention of that, at least, if I'm not going to be preaching on it, I at least like to call your attention to this remarkable fact, businesses must close so that families would be free to gather, that they might give thanks, pray, feast, rejoice together, that our nation might unite in its thanks to God, from whom all blessings flow. And I usually put the uh, original proclamation in your bulletin or something. It's been some time since I read it to you, but it was in 1789, the very year that our first president was elected, George Washington, that he remembered our country, that we have a joyful obligation, a sacred duty to thank God, as he wrote, that we may then all unite in rendering to God our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous to their becoming a nation, for the signal and manifold mercies and the favorable interpositions of his providence in the course and the conclusion of the late war, for the greatest degree of tranquility, union, and plenty which we have since enjoyed, for the peaceable and rational manner in which we have been able to establish constitutions of government for our safety and happiness, and particularly the, na the national one now lately instituted, for the civil and religious liberty with which we are blessed, and the means we have of acquiring and diffusing useful knowledge, and in general for all the great and various favors which he has been pleased to confer upon us, and also that we may then unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions, 
to enable us all, whether in public or private stations, to perform our several and relative duties properly and punctually, to render our national government a blessing to all the people by constantly being a government of wise, just, and constitutional laws, discreetly and faithfully executed and obeyed, to protect and guide all sovereigns and nations, especially such as have shown kindness to us, and to bless them with good governments, peace and concord, to promote the knowledge of uh, promote the knowledge and practice of true religion and virtue and the increase of science among them and us and generally to grant all mankind such a degree of temporal prosperity as he alone knows to be best. Washington understood what people today call common grace, that God's benefits and blessings extend to all people in the world, and how much happier we would be as a nation if we gave attention to this practice. If we set before, if every household in America set before themselves all these things, devoted themselves to praying for and thanking God for these things, we would be a happy and blessed people indeed. But Washington did leave something important out of that proclamation. Perhaps you noticed. What could it be? What else do we have to be thankful for in this nation besides our peace and plenty, our prosperity, and the good providence of God? Well, I hope that you are enjoying these things, but if that's all that you have to thank God for this year, I say you have very little to thank God for indeed. Our God is a giving God. He has given so many things to us, but supremely, he has so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And it is this gift that we should most be thankful for. Thanks be to God, wrote the apostle, for his indescribable gift. We're thankful for many things, but we are thankful for the grace that we have in Christ. And therefore, it is God's decree that we should be not just joyful as a nation, but indescribably joyful as God's people, thanking, praising, and um, uh, uh, what does the passage say to us here? Rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, in everything giving thanks. And so, God commands your happiness. It's a law. It's an obligation. <clears throat> the Princeton professor Archibald Alexander said that to be perfectly obedient to the commandments of God is to be perfectly happy. Surely no one ought to complain of being required to pursue his own greatest happiness. But this will be our study today. Three points for your happiness. First then, this, which, by the way, happens to be the shortest verse in the Greek New Testament. Just uh, two words here. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Brothers and sisters, it's remarkable that from the beginning of the Bible to the end, we are so often told to rejoice. There are so many references to joy and happiness, pleasure and exaltation, which is said to be the inevitable review, result of our faith in God and a calling that we must pursue. It's not only an important theme in the Bible, it's a virtue. 
Joy is a Christian virtue. God calls us and commands us to be joyful, since happiness is a key part of holiness. You can be joyful without being holy, but you can't be holy without being joyful. We're told it's the fruit of the Spirit, which means that if you're lacking it, it's like if you're lacking humility or patience or self-control. It's a critical area of need. Just practically speaking, Nehemiah said to a sorrowful people, no, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's a strengthener. It's a motivator, an enabler, something that drives you on. Happiness is worth working for. We often think of joy as something that we either have or not, but that is not right. The Bible does not approach it that way. It makes it, well, frankly, a law. It's a command and a calling. It's a privilege to be sure. But as I say, it is the will of God for you, as the passage puts it. It's something we are called to practice. God is commanding you to have not only what you most want, something that is most delightful to you, but something that you need for your healthy spiritual life. You need to grow in joy to serve the Lord. When we are not joyful, we seek our joy elsewhere, which is then the cause of myriad other sins. And so joy is the law of God's kingdom. It is God's will for you. It's a moral issue. And the Bible is full of instruction on how we might cultivate it and increase it and exercise it. It says frequently, rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. It is a calling. It is sometimes hard work, but it's rewarding work. And Paul therefore says, we are workers together with you for your joy. Well, in this series, we are considering not only what the commands of God are for our lives, but why we need it so much in the world. Our nation is founded upon the supposed God-given right to pursue happiness. Everyone is certainly looking for it, searching for it, diligently seeking to secure it, but we find it elusive. And our nation is not as happy as it could be, that I know. The world settles for lesser happiness, things that are far from satisfying. And not just that, I mean, the modern opioid crisis, right, is a painful illustration of the fact that we are seeking happiness so desperately. What do we find out this year? It's the leading uh, killer now at a certain age range. Uh, 100,000 people or something died last year. The great tragedy of human life is that we are all seeking happiness in a way that's killing us. That people continue to search for happiness in the wrong places and fail to obtain the thing that they need most no matter how hard they try. Now, there is laughter and merriment and a good high, which is far below the joy that Paul is commending to us here on all occasions that we might always have. Paul speaks of a joy to be with us always. Rejoice always, he says. A deep-seated delight that is with us in this life And that which is to come. A joy that comes from the very love of God in Christ Jesus. It flows from the noble purposes for which he has made us. 
and from a sense of, sense of contentment that comes that everywhere and always, in every circumstance, we are in God's capable hands, that there is nothing in heaven and earth that can separate you or me from his love, that to be truly happy, to have genuine joy, we have something that is not dependent upon the temporary and fleeting things of this world. We have a joy which uh, Peter says is indestructible because it is founded on the deepest and surest reality and not the shifting sands of worldly experience. A joy that is ours always, deep in the soul, safe from the sorrows of trials of life. And I always like to explain it this way, that like an ocean can have a terrible storm. It can have a a hurricane that disturbs the surface with waves and wind, and yet down below there is this, there's this huge depth of calm, uh, still water. And so it is in our lives. We can have trouble on the surface, but underneath there is this joy that cannot be given or taken away by the world. This is the command. Rejoice always. It's not just a good idea, it's the law, as the old slogan went, right? Now, it's one thing to know that we ought to have this joy. It's another thing for us to uh, enjoy it ourselves, to experience it and express it. And so, uh, he joins with this command, rejoice always, these other things, to pray without ceasing and to give thanks in everything, Um, It is something that we have to put together and to work on together. If you're not putting much thought or effort into these other things, then you're definitely not as joyful as you should be, as you could be. If joy doesn't find you, you certainly have to find it. So Paul joins this command to rejoice always with his command to pray without ceasing and to give thanks in everything. So I'll conclude by trying to tie these together a little more, but just to show you that these things are mutually reinforcing. We have the command, point one, rejoice always, but we have then the way, number two, pray without ceasing. Point two, pray without ceasing from verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Uh, This perplexed me when I was a new Christian. How am I supposed to pray without ceasing? I had a job that required me to concentrate for hours uh, with my mind every second. How can I pray without ceasing? Well, I was relieved later to learn that it doesn't mean pray every second, a command I would in no case be able to obey. Uh, Without ceasing uh, has the sense without giving up, without stopping. Jesus had a whole parable on this. Men ought always to pray and not lose heart. That's definitely the idea. Or we read in the book of Acts how the early church continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. They prayed without ceasing. It wasn't every second, but it it was without hindrance, without, without interruption every day. And this law of the kingdom means that we are to have this prayer as an ongoing characteristic of life without stopping, without failing to pray. As God's children, he wants us to have this regular intimacy in speech and in song, in step and in movement, day by day. 
and we are walking together with him through life. We can't have the joy of point one if we don't have joy in the Lord. Or um, uh, if you'll allow me a brief quote by John Calvin here, it's a, it, it just says it so well. It, he says um, that, that by this we will seek, love, and serve him while we become accustomed in every need to flee to him as to a sacred anchor. This love, excuse me, this prayer purifies our desires since we must bring them to God himself. It prepares us to receive thankfully what he gives, being reminded it comes from his hand. It helps us to meditate on his kindness as we delight in what he's given. It confirms to us our own weakness and God's great providence and faithfulness in meeting our needs. And so you see why prayer is an essential component or joined together with this joy. If we have pure desires, if we have thankful receiving of what he gives, if we're able to meditate upon his kindness to us and delight in what he has given, then we have a foundation for joy. Now, we're to pray for everything, of course, but the context here is joy and thanksgiving, which is the foundation of all great prayer. So, I don't know about you, so often in my life, uh, prayer tends to go inevitably to my needs, the things that I desire. Um, You might call this need-based praying, which certainly isn't wrong, but what I'm talking about here is worship-based prayer praying, where the focus is on joy and thanksgiving, what we have on either side of it here, right? The first kind of prayer focuses on the dissatisfactions in my life. The second focuses on the source of true satisfaction in God himself. The first tends to be like a grocery list of problems. The second, more a celebration of the one who has solved all the great problems of our life already. We often pray for various blessings that we need here and now, which we should. And yet, strangely, it's often those very blessings and pleasures that, that somehow draw us away from God. You know, those ten lepers, when they were in urgent need, they were seeking the Lord and, and calling upon him and wouldn't be quiet until they had what they needed. And then when they were healed... Well, nine out of ten of them wouldn't even be bothered to give thanks. And and so it is, there's something about the blessings of God that we receive that do seem to lead us away sometimes. Another example, in his parable of the four soils, Jesus describes that there's the seed that gets choked by weeds, which he says are like the riches and pleasures of life. Do you feel that you're being choked by the pleasures and riches of life so that your spiritual life is is being killed by an abundance of fertilizer, perhaps. Uh, Prosperity often has the opposite effect, deadening spirituality so that we forget the Lord when suffering at least drives us to God in prayer. This was the experience of Israel when they came into Canaan, right? They, They were in need. They called on the Lord. He delivered them. They forgot him, right? It was this whole terrible cycle. And, and so this is, again, why we need this 
in our country. This isn't just about then. We live in the richest nation in the world. It's not that we don't have things to be thankful for. We don't have anything to be, anyone to be thankful to. Or as one man points out, it's ironic that Thanksgiving Day, the day in which we, supposedly, give thanks to the Lord for his blessings to us, is the day immediately before the biggest shopping day of the year when we go out to get more. We give thanks for all these given to us. All the time in our minds, we're going to go out and get to ourselves more tomorrow. It's not a recipe for happiness. We, we, we think that this is going to make us happy, and we need to have the wise law set before us again. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Uh, many of you will know the story of Helen Keller. She was born in 1882 and died, I just found out, the year before I was born, in 1968. When she was a young girl of only 19 months, as a beautiful, precocious little girl, she caught a fever that left her without sight and left her without hearing. And she was locked into this world of darkness and silence. It was very difficult for her, and finally at age seven, her parents got her a tutor to help her learn how to communicate. Very instrumental in Helen Keller's ability to handle the situation as she grew was to learn her trust in the living God. And I want you to listen to what she once said. She said, for three things, I thank God every day of my life. Thanks that he has vouchsafed to me the knowledge of his works. Deep thanks that he has set in my darkness the light of faith. Deepest thanks that I have another life to look forward to, a life joyous with light and flowers and heavenly song. And this woman, in the darkness of her experience, had the secret of joy and praise. She was able to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and in everything she gave thanks And that's our third point from the passage. In everything, give thanks, Paul says. And maybe it would help if I pointed out the context in which he is writing. I'll have more to say about this next week as we think about the church and the situation there. But uh, if you look back just a page to 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 6, you'll see something of the situation that they are in. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. It was in their severe sufferings that they first followed the Lord and did so with great joy. In everything, they were able to give thanks. We have perhaps more reasons than many in the world to be thankful. Maybe we have family blessings, material prosperity, you name it. But as Christians, I say we have something that will give us thanks every day of our lives, no matter what else is going on. We won't be a truly thankful people until we contemplate the real and deepest reasons 
for which we ought to give thanks. Remember I explained it to you last week with John Chrysostom. He's brought before the emperor, Julian the apostate. He's threatened with banishment. I'm going to banish you and separate you from your father's land for the rest of your life. The whole world is my father's land, he replied. Then I will take away all of your property and treasures. You cannot, he replied, for my true treasures are in heaven. I will send you to a place of solitude where there will be no friend for you to talk to. You cannot, he says, for I have a friend that is nearer to a brother, uh, nearer than a brother, with me to the end of the age. I then will take your life, said the emperor in anger. You cannot, he replied, for my life is forever hidden with Christ in God. So, you see, God has provided for us small things in the country, many wonderful things for which we ought to be thankful. And George Washington's right. We, we have an obligation to thank that great ruler of nations for, for, for providing all those things for us, our, our blessings, our liberty, uh, the prosperity that we've enjoyed. But knowing God as our loving Father, having eternal life, having a joy that can never be taken away, a purpose in life, his spirit within us, forgiveness of sins, a cleansed conscience, a new heart, a new future, a home forever in the heavens, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We have something far, far greater. And so let me point out in terms of joy, point one, it's also hard to overstate the importance of gratitude. These things are tied together as rapid-fire commands for good reason. If you want to be happy, one of the healthiest, most profitable things you can ever do is to be thankful. Uh, very common practice in biblical counseling, as you'll know, I've mentioned to you before at least, is, is to have a daily journal to write what you are thankful for, something different than the previous days. It's hard to overstate the importance of that simple practice in turning around a difficult situation. It's an antidote to self-pity. It's a cure for depression. It's a solution for joylessness. It improves your prayer life. It gives you energy. The Bible even points out it's a cure against other sins. In Ephesians 5, Paul says, among you there must not even be a hint of sexual liberality or any kind of impurity or greed, but rather thanksgiving, that there is nothing that puts out the wildfire of negative emotions more quickly than gratitude to God. Something you might want to, might want to try. These things are put together, not just as haphazard commands, you see, but they are joined together, this rejoicing always, this praying without ceasing, and in everything giving thanks. Uh, celebrated book, A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. William Law wrote this, if anyone would tell you the shortest, surest way to all happiness and all perfection, he must tell you to make it a rule to yourself to thank and praise God for everything that happens to you. Could you work miracles? You could not do more for yourself 
then by this thankful spirit, for it heals with a word speaking and turns all that it touches into happiness. Well, I'm always amused this time of year to read these studies, these uh, scientific and psychological studies that are done even on the brain, talking about uh, Thanksgiving and um, in all this cutting-edge research, how they tell you basically just, if you listen to William Law, you would have known it all along, I suppose. Every year, especially this week of Thanksgiving, another flurry of studies will be published announcing to the world that... The Bible's right. Puritan piety brings you great happiness. We don't say it in those words, but they do these brain studies. This is your brain. This is your brain on gratitude. The results, medical researchers assure us, are nothing less than astonishing. Um, what did law say? If you could do miracles, you could not do more than just be thankful. Uh, they, they report. Giving thanks, counting blessings, help people sleep better, lower stress, greatly improve relationships, decrease materialism, and increase generosity. I even found out that it helps medical doctors to make more correct medical diagnoses. So if you've been messing up your medical diagnoses of late, you might try more Thanksgiving. It's, it's very interesting. Here's a, here's, a, here's a conclusion from a top journal. Um, in recent years, a large body of literature has developed showing that gratitude is related to a wide variety of forms of well-being. This literature stands in contrast to work showing that huge increases in income are needed even for modest gains in well-being. Perhaps instead of spending less, excuse me, perhaps instead of spending lives trying to amass ever more possessions, people would be better advised to appreciate more what they actually have. I think, you know, if you just read William Law, you'd save yourself all this money in research. But uh, practically speaking, uh, it is a, a powerful force for joy. Praising God, thanking God, being joyful always, compact together. One of the most popular gratitude exercises is this daily gratitude journal, simply writing down. Some people do three things every day for what you are thankful and not that the Lord's word needs any confirmation, but the results of such a simple practice are profound across the board. Uh, in one study, uh, that simple practice skyrocketed happiness, decreased materialism. Participants who in that study started donating 60% more to charity. They started giving more as they were thankful more. Well, sure enough, these things make all the difference. Thanksgiving and praise are the supports of joy. Living a life with a heart of gratitude to God for what he has done, for all that he's given, it lifts our burdens. As Law said, it is the surest way to happiness. And we have the indescribable gift that makes all the difference. So I conclude by asking you, have you by God's grace received that indescribable gift? You know, you can't receive a gift if your hands are already full. And this is something to consider. It's an empty hand that receives a gift. Surely the gift of salvation. That is to say, it is the free gift of God 
and it must be grasped with hands that are empty, with those who have nothing else that they might offer. We were made for the love of a father, limitless, boundless, and free. We were made for the redeeming love of a Savior who would die that we might live to bring us to God. We were made for the indwelling love of a Spirit who pours God's own love, the very love and communion of God, into our hearts. And the more that you have these things, well, you still won't be contented with the world, which can never give you that much satisfaction. But you can become very contented in the world, no matter what the circumstances of your life are. And you can become more joyful, more praising and prayerful, more everlastingly truly thankful. And so, fulfill this law. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, brothers and sisters. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks. Let us pray. Our Father, we do recognize ourselves to be the most blessed people in the world, not as Americans, but as your children. For we have known you as our Redeemer, and we know ourselves to be sinners that have no right to receive anything from your hand, and yet you have chosen to love us and grant us the gift of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we pray that it would not just be merely a a day or a week of thanksgiving according to the proclamation of our government for which we are thankful, but that we would rejoice always, that we would have this without ceasing prayer and praise, giving thanks in all things to you. Truly, this is eternal life. We have tended to forsake, though, that fountain of living waters, as it is written, to neglect so great a salvation. And we have grieved and humbled. Uh, we, we are grieved and we are humbled that we have so little glorified and enjoyed the very God who has spared not his own son but given him up for us all. We wish to have so much more joy, to have so much more praise and thanksgiving in, in our lives. We pray that you would take away the sinful lukewarmness, that we should no longer be satisfied with such a low level of obedience to such a high command. We pray that you would grant that we might live to your glory and delight ourselves in the Lord, who alone is worthy, to whom be glory, both now and forever.